I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and today we're going to talk about some serious things as it comes to law enforcement. Right? The, the world of law enforcement is filled with dedication and bravery and sacrifice, but it doesn't always work out really well for people. Uh, law enforcement is plagued with suicide. Now, it's, it's a terrible thing for someone to take their own life, but it's even worse when it's someone who has dedicated their lives to helping others and they find themselves in a place of being depressed or unable to cope with life to the point that they decide they have to take their life. And in law enforcement, we find that it is the usually the number one profession where people will take their lives, not just when they're in the active duty years, but sometimes years after retirement. I had a very good friend of mine who, was, uh, who rose to the rank of captain, was a tremendous street officer, was a very good and decent human being, was a loving husband, and a very good friend. He had a great career, retired, moved to the state of Florida, had a beautiful home, him and his wife. They had uh, a lot of creature comforts there in Florida. A nice boat, beautiful pool. They, they had just a wonderful life. And slowly but surely, as time started to go by, probably three, four, five years after retirement, he started to become depressed. And none of us here in New Jersey knew how depressed he was becoming. But apparently he started to drink a lot, and he had more and more difficulties, and he ended up taking his life. And it was devastating for his wife and for his family, and devastating for all of us who knew him. And it, it, it really brings home uh, the reality of this, because he's not the only officer I know personally that killed themselves. And when I talk to police officers... Across the country, I always ask, does anybody know anyone who's, who's killed themselves, committed suicide? And the hands always go up because there are so many police officers that take their lives. Sometimes the statistic per year is that there are more officers that commit suicide and take their lives than are, than are lost on duty in the course of their duty, you know, getting uh, killed by a, a, a robber or, or a killer or somebody. You know, we talk about police work and how to do it. And we talk about war stories, you know, tales from the road. And we have a lot of fun with those kind of things. But we got to talk about some of the serious things that happen to us as, as well. And this is for everybody in law enforcement, whether you're in corrections, you're a police officer, sheriff's officer, federal officer, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're involved in the world of law enforcement, you're going to come across some terrible parts of the career. And that would be the stresses that we have to deal with when we see horrible, horrible things. So I know in the course of my career, I have seen many really bad scenes where people have been injured, killed, murdered, brutalized, and it's, it is horrific. And how do we handle it? Well, for most of us in law enforcement, what we do is we have a, you know, a gallows humor. We make jokes about it. If the world heard what we said at some of these crime scenes, they would think we're horrible people. But the reality is people use gallows humor to deal with the stress of what they're seeing. And it's my premise that it's that stress over time, over the course of a career, that leads people in our business to kill themselves more than in any other profession. 
Number two is dentists. Now, why it would be dentists? I have no idea. Like you open your mouth, you're drilling people. Maybe they don't like it. I don't know. But it's police and dentists, usually uh, the, the one and two in there. And that is a horrific thing. And I've known officers, as I'm sure some of you do, that have killed themselves. And we have to find a way to overcome this. And we have to deal with this stress and put these things in a box, right? You can't have these ghosts chasing you the rest of your life. So to help me do that, my guest today is Susan Marco. Now, Susan, very, very interesting, very talented, uh, highly educated woman here, is a clinical hypnotist. Okay, clinical hypnotist, we're going to get into that. And she's also a self-empowerment and mindset mentor. So, Susan, welcome aboard to the Blue Heart Podcast. Joe, thank you so much for having me. It's it's a privilege to be here. Oh, that's very nice. And, and it's really, it's a privilege to talk to the men and women of law enforcement, not so much to me. Uh, but I, I thank you for saying that's nice. Now, you, you heard my little opening there about the reality of officers taking their lives and, you know, marriages are ruined. Cops are all divorced. A lot of alcoholism, drug stuff going on. How does, how does clinical hypnotism fit into that and, and helping someone be a self-empowerment mentor? How does that help? Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to just give a little addendum to me and where I come from. My husband is a retired police chief. So, um, you know, we haven't been married since the very beginning. I came on the scene with him a little bit later in our lives and in his life as an officer. But I had the good grace to meet so many wonderful police officers. And my understanding and appreciation for law enforcement has grown so much through that. So I wanted to just, you know, say that it's, I have the utmost respect and gratitude for what you guys and girls do out there on the, on the road every day. Well, thank you very much. And I know, I know people appreciate that. And, uh, you know, what I say all the time, I teach law enforcement all over. And I said, I've been in this business long enough to have seen us go from heroes to zeros and back again. And right now we're in a little trough. People don't like us but they're starting to realize how much they need law enforcement because we don't do the things people say we do. You know, we don't hate people. We don't chase yeah. people for wrong reasons. And unless you get the inside scoop in that people, I, I could see where the media pounding us every second and that has to add to people's stress. Um, I know officers I talk to now across the country are saying, yeah, we kind of do what we're supposed to do, what we have to do. And, you know, we're not so proactive anymore. And that's the only thing that really keeps the community safe is proactive policing. But I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. All right. So that's OK. So, um, you know, there are it's complex, right? There are a lot of things that add up to that when you get to that point where you feel like you just don't want to go on or you can't continue or, you know, the stresses of you know, hero to zero and that, you know, you, you sign up to do this job and you think your you know, your purpose is to keep people safe and to do the job that many other people are not willing to do. And then you're met with that kind of resistance or worse than that. Right. So in my experience, the real key to healing that is number one, recognizing that it's okay it's okay if you have those feelings. And I know that, you know, in the field, it's not something that is often safe to talk about. You know, you don't want your 
you know, officers to, you don't want anyone else to know that you're going through something so emotionally difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I can go on and about that for a long time. I don't think I need to cover that. No, I, I, but I think a point to, to jump in right there when you're saying that the problem is if I'm a plumber and I tell yeah. people I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling upset, right. they'll send me for help. If I'm an officer and I say that, they'll take away my gun and my badge and get exactly. me help. And then my career is over. So that that's a stumbling point for getting help, I think. Yeah. So that being said, though, I want to explain to you a little bit for those who don't know what is hypnosis. So hypnosis is one of the most natural states of being. We are, all of us are in and out of hypnotic trance every single day, hundred times a day. Hypnotic trance is like when you fall in love, that butterfly feeling that you have and your mind kind of shuts down a little. So you're, you can only think about that person that you're, you know, where your affection is directed. That's a state of trance. Um, driving down the road, who hasn't had the experience of you've, you've taken this route, you know where you're going, you do it all the time, you get where you're going and you say, did I pass the church? I don't remember making that turn. I don't re- That's you're a right. state of trance. Okay. Now it's a little scary if you think about, wait a minute, I'm going into trance while I'm driving. Right, so here's the thing. We have, there are two sides of the brain. There's the conscious part of us and the unconscious part of us. The conscious part of us is everything we are. It's everything we're aware of, right? It's our consciousness. The unconscious part of us is everything else. And what is living or what resides in the unconscious part of our brain is everything we've ever learned, all of our experiences, our traumas, our beliefs, our emotions, our values, morals, memories, all of that lives in the unconscious part of the mind. And guess what? To a great extent, we are unconscious of all of those things. And so if I have a belief, um, So for instance, I had a belief from when I was young that I was not worthy of being heard. That belief came out of an event and the event was my father lost his cool with me one day because I wouldn't stop talking and he yelled at me. And that little girl felt fear and shame in that moment. Now look at my father didn't really mean that Mm -hmm. but there was no follow-through he yelled at me that was that and i was expected to get over it but for that five-year-old little sensitive person that fear and shame led to the belief that oh my dad who is my hero he's my god doesn't really want to hear what i have to say Mm -hmm. and what our unconscious mind will do is its primary focus or function is to keep us safe So we'll have an event, which will be followed by an emotion, and that emotion will be followed by a belief. And for me, the belief was, I'm not worthy of being heard. And so through my life from five years old and forward, until I made a decision to change that, that I proved that belief right every time I opened my mouth to speak. Mm -hmm. So if I was in a conversation and somebody cut me off in the middle, 
in the back of my mind was that little voice saying, see, you're not really, they don't really care. They're not really interested in what you have to say. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. We all have those things. Sure. Some people are perhaps less sensitive or more resilient and they'll just move on and it won't be a thing for them. But many of us, it does become a thing and it becomes the foundation in that unconscious programming Mm -hmm. that runs everything else that we do or that at least has a major effect. So you can imagine for me being in this field of endeavor where I'm mentoring and I'm coaching and I'm teaching people, if I have a belief that people don't want to hear what I have to say, I'm not going to be very successful, am I? Right. Absolutely and it's not. Going to be, it's going to be quite frustrating. It will affect everything you do. Exactly. And so what I do with people is I help them uncover what are those beliefs that are leading to their unhappiness or leading to them feeling insecure or that they're stuck in some way, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, and, you know, listen, when you deal with the kinds of things that you all are dealing with, you really better have a strong sense of yourself and a strong sense of being able to detach from the things that you're experiencing and seeing. Mm -hmm. And that's where hypnosis can help because what we do is we go in, in a state of hypnosis, what we're we're really doing is asking the conscious part of the mind to go off and take a break. So we are inducing a state of trance, like when you're driving and you go by that turn or you go by that church and you say, how did I get here? Because you're in that unconscious state. Now that makes sense to me, but let me ask you a question. Yeah. I don't want to cut you off because you are worthy could, of being. I could to, keep going. I'm on a I, roll. <laughs> I know you're, you're like me. You're passionate about this. I can yeah. tell. So when I start to hear as you're breaking this down, someone that doesn't really, my experience with hypnosis is you go to one of these shows and they hypnotize somebody. They act like a chicken. They run around, they do crazy stuff and they don't remember it. Yeah. What you're saying is that there's a way to use this to help people deal with those emotions or those feelings or those experiences and to bring them out and deal with them so they don't haunt them anymore and they can move on. That's the idea. Absolutely. Now, when you're in this trance, are you actually in a trance where you can make me go act like a chicken and I would do it? How does that, that, is that a game or is that not part of this? Well, it's different than what I do. I mean, the show hypnosis is, it's for entertainment. Mm -hmm. And what's entertaining about it is that there are some people who have lower inhibitions or don't mind being made fun of. Mm-hmm. or, you know, are willing to play and be spontaneous and have fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, so those people are willing to close their eyes and go into a deeper sense of a trance, a deeper state of mm-hmm. trance and play and play along with whatever that person is suggesting. Okay. Well, that makes sense to me then. Yeah. So, but, so if an know, officer, if an officer is feeling upset by the things that they see. And sometimes we we don't even, we don't see it right in front, but I know I was affected by seeing little children. You, you talked about something your dad said to you. And, and I think you're right. We all have those things. I was a brand new cop and I went to a domestic where husband and wife constantly fighting and they were a young couple and th- their lives were a train wreck. And I went there one night and they weren't going to get locked up because they didn't hit each other, but they were just, it was just miserable. And this little three-year-old came out and clung to my leg and said to me, please don't go. And I had to leave her there. I I couldn't take her with me. 
And I had a, to this moment, this has got to be 30 years ago. It still bothers me that little kid, I had to leave her there. I found over the course of my career to, to face these things right up front and to put them in their right box so they don't bother me. But I know a lot of officers don't. So if they're having those feelings, they come to you. And, and what can you do to help them? What I can do to help them is to have, um, you know, a conversation first. And this is where the mentorship comes in of helping them unpack what their feelings are about it, what their beliefs are about it. And then we can go about actually reframing or releasing those feelings or those beliefs. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing more damaging mentally or physically holding on to stuck emotion. Most of the illnesses in our culture have to do with, they're most of them stress-driven, if you think about it. I feel like I'm having a therapy session right now. It's, yeah. it's Everything you're saying is making sense. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to see, wow, if you could save one cop from killing himself or herself, that would be amazing. Um, so it starts with that conversation and that reframe, right? Let, right. Let's figure out a way that is, um, you know, that is comfortable for you. Like everyone is different. We all have different ways of looking at things. Mm -hmm. No two people are the same. There are similarities certainly in, you know, culturally and societally, but, you know, basically we all, everyone comes from where they come from. It's like if mm -hmm. you and I could come from the same family, but, our traumas are going to be different, our memories and experiences, the way that we frame things. So we're going to look at things a little differently. Mm -hmm. So we could have an argument who's right and who's wrong. We both are because we sure. can only see from our own perspective. So at, at what allowing, point? Allowing, oh, sorry, that's okay. Allowing space and time for that officer to unpack what is the perspective? How are you feeling? What's going on for you? And then we would use those protocols or processes in that hypnotic state to um, change how the mind is holding on to it. It sounds like if everybody really took it seriously and sought out help like this, we could probably, but my question, and I, that's why I didn't mean to interrupt you, but as I'm thinking this, I'm hearing people out there who are suffering right now. Yeah. At what point in that suffering should they reach out? Because people, maybe in the beginning, they don't realize they're suffering. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they'll have an event that maybe clues them in or clues other people around them. Hey, what's wrong? Something's wrong here. Mm -hmm. And at that point, where's the best time for them to seek someone out like you? The best time for them to seek someone out is anytime. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to sound trite, but, you know, if you catch it, early, if you feel something's not right, there's just something in my chest that shouldn't be there or in my stomach, or, and I'm having these thoughts, like any time is a good time, really. Mm -hmm. You know, so, even, even if you're, if you're further down the road, you might need a more, you might need more than a session or a few sessions. Sure. So what are some symptoms that if, if I knew, here's a list of symptoms that I might be suffering that said, Hey, I need to get help. What, what would it be nightmares? Would it be feelings of like agoraphobia? I can't go out anymore or hearing a certain kind of call. And now I freeze up. I mean, sure. Any of that, any, you know, post-traumatic stress, like, um, 
you know, uh, you see something on a television show and it sparks something for you and you want to go throw up, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you um, hear a loud sound and you suddenly get on hyper, you know, in that hyper vigilance. Sure. Um, you know, I've and seen those you, things with people. You know, all of the things that you said, really, it's it's about sort of having that self awareness and learning how to self regulate, mm-hmm. because our nervous systems are not built for that kind of trauma. Right. Well, I'm going to tell you two two interesting things. One was in a, a very big, brutal. A homicide case that I investigated and there was all these senior officers around and I was the lead detective on this thing and it was a horrific crime scene it was really bad mm. and all these cops were there and like I said in, the, in, our, in our opening today there some of them were making jokes and they were saying that and, and then we did the right thing is we had a, a debriefing with a psychologist all the people that were involved in the call sat around in a room psychologist came brought another psychologist friend and just started asking us questions about how did it feel to see that and People were laughing and joking. And it was an old timer in the room who was one of the biggest jokers. And he just brought up, he says, you know, I got to tell you, it, it didn't really bother me. But seeing that person's head on the floor, um, man, that, that was weird. I even had a dream about it. Well, that seemed to open the floodgates. And now everybody was talking. Yeah. And I think it helped everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to say something too that just rolled through my head. So this is how I roll when something hits me, I have to say it. You know, if you're having considerations or doubts about reaching out to work with someone, I don't think there's, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but I don't think there's anything that says that you can't reach out for stress reduction. Hmm. You're not going to take your gun away because you're stressed. Yeah, I, I know that there are parts of law enforcement, if, if agencies across the country are trying to find ways for officers to come forward yeah. and get some kind of treatment without losing their their career. Because it's, yeah. you know, you say, okay, it's better that you lose your career and live than kill yourself. That's right. But at the same time, if I don't realize I'm at the point I'm going to kill myself one night, I don't want to lose my career. I got a family to feed. I have a life to do here. So we as a as a profession, we have to work on that more. And everybody that's listening to me, if your agency does not have some kind of protocol and policy when there's a traumatic thing that you sit down with somebody and everybody talk, this is what's going to get rid of this cancer from people, help them put it in a box and do the right thing so they don't kill themselves either on duty or after they retire. Very good friend of mine, had a great career, wonderful person, got depressed in his retirement and killed himself. And and it was was very hard for everybody to, to deal with that. So, Susan, the other thing, and I think we'll end on this one, because would you come back some more? Because I think we're going to look for case studies and we're going to throw stuff at you and have you give us some advice because well, I, I, would love I think to. this is and very helpful. I have a few I have a few cases that I've I have a few clients that I've worked with who've given me permission to share their stories. And one of them in particular is just unbelievable. That's outstanding. Like, yeah. So um, I'll we'll yeah. absolutely do this. I think it's a great idea to have you back as a, a regular panelist here uh, to talk about this. I was teaching a class uh, very recently, very, very recently on juvenile investigations, how to investigate juveniles as victims, witnesses, and accused. And in the course of this, there was several officers that are longtime 
uh, juvenile officers, been doing this for a long time. And I started talking about why it's important. You know, it's saving the kids and the kids are traumatized and they do bad things and we got to save who we can. I said, and it can affect us really badly and we can have these problems and because we kill ourselves. I talk about it. And this officer who was a senior officer, been doing this a long time. He goes, I got to tell you something. It bothered me a lot, a lot um, to where I took it home at night when I saw some bad, and he was from a, a, a very urban area. So a lot of, a lot of bad things. And I said, what'd you do about it? And he says, I got therapy. I said, you did what? He goes, I got therapy. Did it help? He goes, yeah, saved my life, saved my, my career. He goes, and uh, I don't mind saying it. He goes, it's kind of a little weird. I had therapy. What am I? He goes, but it really helped. And I said, I can't tell you how proud I am of you of saying that in front of this class, that yeah. this guy actually went and got help for himself. And that's, we have to take that stigma away that it, that it's bad. Go go on your own. Go to your own doctor, uh, somebody, and say, listen, don't don't tell my work. Just help me, you know. And and if that's the concern that you have, but get the help, you know. Don't don't do the wrong thing. Well, Susan, thank you very much. Now, listen, if somebody wants to reach out to you, do you take private clients in? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, how would we reach out to you? How would somebody get Susan Marco? Extraordinaire clinical. You can, the easiest way is to find me. You can. Find my website is very easy, susanmarco.com. Susanmarco.com. Mm -hmm. That's outstanding. So if anybody, if you're sitting out there and you're hearing me and you're saying, yeah, I, I, I might want to talk to somebody. Or if you're saying, yeah, I need to talk to somebody. Or if somebody in your family you think needs to talk to somebody, reach out to Susan. I can tell you just from talking to her here a couple of minutes, I feel better already. And I don't even have any problems. I want to one addendum to that is that one of the cool things that COVID brought us as a field, you know, as a um, hypnotist in general, is that uh, five years ago, if you had told me I would be seeing people on Zoom for hypnosis sessions, I would have said no way. Right. But it is very doable. It is. So well, I then, do see people in person and on, uh, you know, on Zoom. So I think what we'll do in one of our future meetings, I'll have you hypnotize me. Okay. Uh, uh, and I'll see if I can find something in my background that I want to deal with. And uh, just don't make me do the chicken dance or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, don't no. make me look crazy, everybody. <laughs> so thank you, Susan, very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, and for all my brothers and sisters out there that are listening and family members of law enforcement people, uh, let's see if we can get some help before somebody does something to hurt themselves. This is, uh, this is Chasing Justice, and we'll be back. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. World-class care from doctors you can trust. 
all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. America OutLoud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hey, everybody. Here we are on Chasing Justice, and we got a lot of things I want to discuss. But first, I want to tell you about Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell is an amazing supplement that I take all the time. I've told you about it before. I take the Immune Boost, which is a, a helps keep your immune system running at top condition, strong, to knock out any germs or any viruses that come your way. But there's also the uh, the REM sleep. Package, which is if you're having trouble sleeping, uh, I know it's worked. I've actually uh, passed some on to a couple of people that were having real trouble. I don't have trouble sleeping, so I, I didn't use it, but I know people who did, family member, and I know he's continued to purchase it ever since he used it because he actually gets some sleep now. So if you're having a sleep problem, uh, take a look at Healthy Cells uh, sleep product. And the other one is Focus Factor, right? This is for to help you uh, focus your your mind and your thoughts. And uh, so guys in the neighborhood are taking it. Uh, and according to now, Bill, Bill's one of the older guys on the show. He's in his 70s and he says it's actually really helped him. Uh, and I think that's wonderful because I find them to be quality products. Uh, and I've, I've purchased them for the last couple of years now. And I'm passing it on to you to let you know this is something good. And you might want to give it a try if you want to boost your immune system so you can stay healthy. If you need to sleep better. Uh, or if uh, you want to make sure that your, your mental functioning is good. Maybe we should send some to President Biden. Maybe that would be a good idea to help him out because he seems to be having great difficulties. Well, as I start to look at here, some of the big things that have been going on, I got to tell you, uh, I, I mentioned uh, Rush Limbaugh quite a few times. Rush is, is one of the people at the pinnacle of uh, talk radio. Uh, even in death, he is someone that is still regarded very highly by millions and millions of people but for all of us who are in this uh in this kind of a a career where we talk on the radio you know everybody thinks it's easy and rush used to say that all the time you know when you're good at something you make it look easy and everybody thinks they can do it and it's true you know i used to listen to him and i'd say hey i could i think i could talk on the radio i got a big mouth i I got a lot to say and then when i first started chasing justice I, i I found that it wasn't quite as easy as I thought to uh, to maintain a thought pattern, to uh, pay attention to what you're saying, to to make sure you make 
cogent point so you don't just drift off. And I guess some of you would say I still do that, but I want to say that um, he was he was like the the beacon for me uh, as a as a person who really loved the medium of talk radio. Uh, and, and another person, maybe many of you have never heard of him, but uh, in New York area, he was really big, was Bob Grant. Bob Grant was on in the 70s, uh, in the 80s. Uh, he was just, uh, to me, a person who thought clearly. Now, you can argue about what he, what he said and how he said it, but he had, uh, he, had, he had a great ability to take a subject and tear it apart and break it down and present different sides of it so that you, the listener, could then think about it. And I think that's... That's what I've tried to do. I give you a lot of uh, thoughts and ideas, and I, I'm always saying, ask questions. That's what I do. I ask questions of myself. I ask questions of any situations that come up, because I think it's important for us to think and to pull things apart. So we get a better understanding of it, uh, a clearer picture, and we can decipher truth from deception. And Bob Grant used to do that. Well, one of the people that I found um, in the modern world is Malcolm out loud? Uh, when I found Malcolm, he he's he is direct to the point. I mean, you listen to Malcolm shows; uh, he does not pull punches, he does not hold back. He tells you exactly what's on his mind, and I can say I learned a lot from him. Uh, I thought, you know, how I should be doing this, and I should, you know, maybe maybe dance around the subject a little bit. And then I was on with Malcolm. I listened to him on his shows, and he just goes straight at it. Uh, and I think that is a value, a great value in someone who's going to be in this kind of a, of a business or career of talking and presenting opinions. And very recently, we saw another one of the people that I think I watched develop from, um, I, I guess, a reporter, contributor, whatever. And of course, I'm talking about uh, the recent um, loss to Fox News and to all of us who, who liked him was Tucker Carlson. Now, Tucker was unique. I remember him uh, in the early days of his broadcasting when he came on. He always, would, he always wore a bow tie. He never wore a tie, a regular uh, tie. He always wore a bow tie. And that, I guess that was his differentiator. And his opinions, though, were interesting. The way he phrased things, uh, the way he presented himself, I thought was always very interesting. And I know when he went to Fox, the story is when he got there, they said to him, um, we don't wear bow ties on the Fox network, we wear regular ties. So he switched over. Um, there was there was another another fellow too used to wear bow ties all the time. I can't think of his name right at the moment, uh, but it'll come to me. And he switched over to ties because he was on the Fox network. Well, Tucker rose to prominence, and there's a lot being said about why he was let go, why he he left, or did he choose to leave? Was he fired? Was it because of the big lawsuit Fox was involved in with the uh, with the voting machines and all that kind of stuff. No matter what the behind-the-scenes reasons was, um, you can't deny that the man had a huge following, that people uh, listened to what he had to say. And uh, I, I think I think one of the things is when you when you poke at somebody's um, truths, they like to fight back. And I think Tucker tried to um, really really go at some things that were considered, you know, politically correct. And he would say, no, we're not going to do political correct. We're going to go right after it. Um, and he, he challenged a lot of people, people in powerful positions, uh, people in positions where they're not used to being challenged, and they didn't like that. And eventually he was asked to leave. Now, I think he's going to come back uh, 
somewhere in the media because his voice is very powerful. He's got millions of people uh, that listen to him. I'd like to get him here on, uh, on America Out Loud. I think he would be a tremendous addition to the lineup. But we shall see. But I like Tucker. I always liked his opinions. Uh, I like to listen to him. How he again? How he breaks things down? He's right in that line with uh, Rush, Bob Grant, Malcolm Out Loud, uh, and Tucker. You know, he really breaks things down, and they've all been uh, people that that I have looked up to and said, "Hey, this is how you break down an argument." So, I just want to say that I thought Tucker was excellent, and uh, I'm sorry that he's uh, gone. But apparently, he made out financially, and he'll make out fine in the future uh, when you have a voice. Uh, like his and an opinion, he'll be great. But I wanted to mention him because he's a, he's a brother in arms, so to speak. So what's going on with our president, President Biden? And he is our president. Um, no matter what you say about how he got into that position, he is the president. That's settled. Uh, that's settled uh, activity now. We can't keep going back in time and 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 fighting that battle again. Uh, he is the president, and he has just announced for re-election. I found it was interesting. So many people uh, on his team will not let him come out into the public and speak. Now they're talking about there's going to be no debates, no Democratic debates, even though he's got two people right now that are looking to run for the nomination, to, to oust him from that position and let them be the one who runs for president. And he will not, he will not uh, uh, debate them. Now, I remember a few years ago, People were out of their minds about how many debates there should be. There should be multiple debates. And then we had COVID and we had Joe Biden hiding in the basement where he didn't have to interact with people because I think his, his mental decline was starting to really become obvious, especially to those around them. You know, it's one thing, you know, if you, if you stage someone's appearance and you script it and you control their, their appearance in the public... You can maintain someone looking pretty normal uh, for most part. You can't let them go off script. You can't let them go off teleprompter. You can't let them uh, take impromptu questions because that's when you'll see the deficiencies in their thinking or in their mental capacity. And we saw that's exactly what we saw with President Biden. Everything was scripted. scripted. There's always people around him to guide him. Remember the, the, uh, the bunny rabbit uh, had to guide him one time when he started going off, off script. Uh, his wife, Jill, often guides him. And we saw recently his son, Hunter, of all people, uh, when he was on a foreign trip to Ireland, he was explaining people's questions to his father because it's really becoming pronounced now that you can see. But from anybody out there that um, that knows someone who is who's mentally declining like that, whether it's Alzheimer's or just natural decline from, from age, um, you start to see when you're around them all the time, you can see that decline. Uh, very clearly, uh, you start to anticipate that kind of thing. You know, memory starts to go. Uh, they start to lose their balance. You know, we see President Biden shuffling all the time. He shuffles with his feet because he's trying to keep his balance. That's all part of aging. It's, you know, it's nothing he can do about it. But the reality is, is that is that who we want as President of the United States? You know, uh, that very famous uh, call, you know, can you take the call at 3 a.m. and make a decision that could change the lives of not just everybody in America, but potentially everybody in the world, especially with all the trouble going on in the world. So I think it's interesting. He was giving a uh, 
I guess he gave, not a really press conference. He doesn't do those because, again, he'd be caught uh, flat-footed because he wouldn't be able to answer. So he's not going to debate because the people in his own party that want to take over his position, um, I don't think they will defer to him and let him look good. They will answer questions, ask him questions, and he will have to respond. And I think he will look really bad. And they're not going to allow that. So, But the media is all on board, 100% on board Joe Biden, even though recent polling, recent polling has showed that about 70% of uh, Democrats don't want him to be the nominee. But if he is the nominee, they're all going to vote for him. You know, there's no doubt about it. Um, he could be, literally, they're talking, you know, make jokes about a weekend at Bernie's. You know, that's the movie where the guy died and the two guys took him around and pretended he was alive and, you know, worked his arms and his hands and all that stuff so he could look like he was doing it, like he was still alive. Uh, there's a lot of jokes about that because that is kind of what's happening with this guy. Uh, he's got handlers, he's got people, he's got family around him, and he's not really able, I don't think, to think very quickly and to answer. We hear how he stumbles and he bumbles, and they're just not going to allow it to happen. And the American people are cheated when that happens. They should be able to compare one person to another that's going to run for the highest office in our nation. Right, because we see what policies do, individual policies. You may not have liked uh, Mr. Trump, but his policies were great for our country. Uh, you may love Joe Biden, but his policies are horrible for America, right? For our families and everything we're trying to do here. We see the difference. We see, uh, you know, two dollar a gallon gas, and now we see three fifty, four dollars in some places because of policy. We see uh, inflation at 6%, 7%, 8% because of policy. We see interest rates from mortgages that were 2 2.5%. Now they're at 6 65 7%. Well, that's, that's thousands and thousands of dollars out of your pocket, all because of policy. So that's kind of what we're looking at here. We should be able to uh, view these candidates and see not only who has good policy and who can articulate that policy, but... What if they're in, in a position to make a decision about sending military troops somewhere or defending us somewhere or shooting down a balloon um, that could potentially, potentially spying on us? Wouldn't that be important for us to uh, be able to see these people, these men and women who want to be president and lead our country and get a real full understanding of how they think mentally, uh, how quickly they can react to things? I think uh, that's, that's extremely important. So the other day, uh, President Biden was given a, uh, I guess, a, a quick press conference at the end of a meeting with the South Korean leader. And apparently he had in his hand, he had a cheat sheet. Now, it's, it's a lot of people that give public speaking. One of the techniques we teach people is to have a little, a little card in your hand that maybe has a couple of notes on it, some, some points you want to make sure you cover uh, if you don't have a written speech where you're following it line by line when you're just speaking. Um, and that's that's normal, but it's usually a very small card, and it's just got a couple of notes. Like it might say, "Talk about the economy," uh, "Talk about the uh, Ukraine situation," something like that. Just keep keep your memory going so you remember to cover points you you think are important. Well, he had a big piece of paper, and he's waving it all around, and you could actually see it when you looked at it. You could see that there was a photograph on there of one of the reporters that were going to be there and ask questions. Then there was the question specifically the reporter was going to ask. Uh, this, was, this was completely scripted because I don't think 
him taking questions off the cuff, just, you know, saying, okay, uh, CBS, what's your question? I don't think he could actually take uh, the question. I think it would be a problem for him. So they, they script this out. Is that the guy we want? I don't know about you, but I've seen some interviews with uh, former President Trump recently, and they go on for, for quite, a, quite a long time, and this guy is sharp as a tack. Now, he might be an older man, but he certainly seems to have his wits about him. He can make decisions. He's still running an empire, and he's running for president for the third time. So these are comparisons we have to make. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Trump in a minute because there's some things, um, as much as I, I liked his presidency, there's some things that he's doing now that are, that are bugging me, and I think a lot of people. I, I do want to, uh, I want to do a shout-out here to Ted, to my father-in-law, Ted, Ted Bonner. Ted is uh, going to be 90 in a very short period of time. 90 years old. God bless him, right? The average life expectancy for a male in America, I think, is 76 or 77. And Ted is going to be 90, and he is healthy as a horse. Ted plays golf uh, every day, sometimes twice a day. Uh, he hangs out with his friends. He goes out to bingo. Um, he, he has parties. He comes to uh, our house. Uh, for dinner and some cocktails, and he's a very, very active individual. Uh, we're we're going to take him and some family members into New York City. You know, oh boy, a uh, little concern there, but we're going to go into New York City, and Ted Ted will walk all over the city. You know, he's a uh, he's he's very strong, healthy man, and I want to wish Ted a happy birthday. He is our number one fan here on Chasing Justice. He loves Malcolm Out Loud, and he loves America Out Loud, and I uh, I just wanted to wish Ted a happy birthday. My father-in-law, he has been um, he has been a friend uh, and a father figure for me uh, for these uh, past 40 years that me and Miss Kathy will be married. So I want to say happy birthday to Ted and ask everybody out there to wish Ted a happy birthday. So he's part of our rot rotation today of things I wanted to talk about. All right now, let's let's talk for a minute about this uh, about President Trump, uh, Trump DeSantis, and what's going on. I know I find. I like Ron DeSantis. I think he's a great governor. Um, I think he needs probably a little more polish on how he presents himself, but I think he presents himself pretty well. Uh, I think he's a smart person. I think he's a good thinker. He's got military experience. He's a good family man. Uh, I, I would trust him in that position of president. Now, first of all, I think I would be a great president. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I think I could be a great president, but I don't have millions of dollars, nor do I have a political empire to, uh, to prop me up. Uh, but so, so short of that, short of me being the president, um, I like Ron DeSantis, and he, I think he would be a good option. He's obviously behind in the polls to President Trump because Trump really changed, um, changed the dynamic of, of what politicians should be, and that's why so many people like him. I saw recently... Um, I think it was Dave Chappelle, the comedian, and he was doing a bit, and he said, you know, he's pretty funny. He says, I live in Ohio, where there's a, there's a lot of people out here in Ohio, flyover country kind of thing. He goes, and you don't understand why people like this Trump so much. And the reason that people like him is because he's honest, he's out front, uh, he's a billionaire, and he tells you the truth. And, you know, people are not used to that. And he gave a couple examples. Uh, he's talking about the debate, and he said, you know, you remember the debate when Hillary said, he doesn't pay his taxes, and Trump said, that's because I'm smart. Um, so I found that really interesting. And when you think about it, telling the truth was a new paradigm.
for politicians. We, you know, they tell us things, they promise us things, they say things, but then they don't usually follow through. They say what they need to say. And unfortunately for us, most of us are stupid enough to just listen to, oh, we hear what we want to hear. That's good. We'll go with that person instead of vetting it out further and, and really thinking our way through. Now, I like Trump because I think he is strong and I think Chappelle is right. That that's why lots of people like Donald Trump. That's why they you know, want him to be president. That's why he's so far ahead because, well, there's, there's a lot built into this one. I think the fact is people think there was some shenanigans in the 2020 election, but I think we need to move on from that. We can't, you know, it's been how many years already? We're not going back to it. We're not going to revisit it no matter what you find. The press is not going to do it. The courts are not going to do it. Just move on. What we have to do is we have to learn how to play the game that our friends on the left play. We have to learn how to do ballot harvesting. We have to learn how to do early voting. We have to learn, do all of those kind of things. All the things that they do, we have to do. Uh, and that's going to change the paradigm of elections. You know, I'm, a, I'm a, a believer that it should be election day, and I think it should be a, a holiday. I think you should have the day off with pay um, for voting, for, especially for, for national elections. And that's the voting day. That's the day you go. You go vote. Uh, I wouldn't even care if we made it two days. You know, it's uh, the, the first Tuesday of the month or whatever it is, however they set it up. And it's the Wednesday of that month, too. So that if you can't make it one day, you can make it the next day. But then that's it. You count up the votes by the end of Wednesday night and you declare who won. I think that would be much better for American psyche. That would be much better for all of us to realize that, you know, these things where it's only funny that it's only certain blue states, swing states, which really make the difference in the elections, that those are the ones that they stop counting in the middle of the night. They get truckloads worth of ballots. They have problems. They can't count their numbers up. It takes them days and days and days. So that would do away with all of that. You would have two days of voting, and at the end of the two days, you'd be counting them up as you go. Uh, and at the end, you add on the last total for the last day, and then here's the winner. And that's why people like Trump. That's why I liked Trump. Um, you know, his, his bombast, uh, the things that he says sometimes are a little short. Of course, how many people have said that? Everybody has said that. And I say the same thing again. Do I like everything he said? No, but I liked his policies. Now, when it comes to this primary season, um, even though Ron DeSantis hasn't announced yet, uh, obviously he's running for president. He's traveling all over to the places where you'd have to go if you wanted to run for president. And he's, uh, he's testing out the waters. He's obviously a guy for the future. But as we all know, you know, the worm turns. He can be the guy uh, now. And this seems like his moment. And if he, if he doesn't go through with it, um, then his moment won't be the next four years from now. He will have missed because some other superstar will come up. Maybe Jim Jordan comes up and uh, really uh, punches through and everybody goes, I'd rather have Jordan than DeSantis. What I don't like about what Trump is doing in this process is I don't like him attacking DeSantis. Now, they can certainly differentiate each other. Uh, you know, this is how I would have handled the problem. Here's how he handled the problem. That's perfectly okay. But I don't like the attacking that Trump is doing because I think most of us out here that are on the more conservative side, we see DeSantis as a viable candidate for future uh, activity, right? But And to, to damage him, because Trump is very good at damaging people. I mean, his nicknames, the things he says about people, the one-liners, they can stick for a long time. And while we all like uh, Trump and we all like DeSantis, 
having Trump attack DeSantis doesn't feel right. It feels uncomfortable. And it's like, hey, what are you doing? You know, why don't you just talk about your record? Uh, and I know a lot of people. I heard O'Reilly the other night. Uh, he was talking about it. He says, I spoke to him and I told him, just run on your record. Don't be going after the election in 2020. Don't talk about, you know, your opponents in such a negative way. You know, go after Biden and the Democrats and their policies and talk about your policies and how you'd make it better. Leave this attacking DeSantis alone. And he he just can't do it. And that's I think that's going to damage him in the long run. Uh, I think it's going to damage the party in the long run. Uh, And that's that's a negative. That is absolutely a negative. Now, when we look down the road. Uh, why should should DeSantis stay in or should he get out? So he's not officially in, but he's obviously in, and he's testing the waters. Now, there's two ways, I think, to look at this. He's testing the waters, and he's polling way above every other Republican, uh, but certainly nowhere near Trump. Uh, Trump's way ahead because I think the the Trump base really wants him to come back and, and uh, fight the evil that he finds uh, in the White House today. And really, he's, he's, he's someone you know you can count on to fight that, where you look at DeSantis and people say, well, I think he's kind of like a, a machine kind of guy. He's more like in the Bush family role. He'd probably be more of a rhino kind of guy when he gets there. I don't know that he would, but I can, I can see it because he's not, as, um, he's not as loud. He's not as vehement. He's not as uh, upfront uh, yelling and, and about things like Trump is. But should he stay in or not? Um, if he stays in, here's the here's the option. He announces for president, and he gets into a couple of debates with Donald Trump. Trump's going to attack him. He has to be prepared for that. Um, he has to be prepared for that attack, right? You have to, you know, it's one thing for someone to pick on you, but if you don't respond, you look weak. And he certainly doesn't seem to have the same kind of personality to attack back with the same thing that Trump does. So he'd have to do something totally different. But you need to prepare for what he's going to call you, what he's going to say. You have to have a good comeback, so to speak, so that you can look equally strong and not wounded. I remember when he's, you know, uh, low energy Jeb, low energy Jeb, and he, you know, little, little, little um, uh, Marco. These were these were um, strong uh, verbal attacks on someone to label somebody like that, and they didn't have a comeback, right? And they looked weak, even though they weren't necessarily weak. So I think DeSantis, if he stays in, the benefit there could be: what if something does happen with Trump? What if uh, you know one of these these indictments that they're they're coming after him for for, which are all nonsense, I believe. They're all nonsense. They're doing it's all political. But uh, once again, there's our friends on the left. They don't care about uh, precedent. They don't care about what's right or wrong. They care about power and. Hey, if we can indict him and, and screw up his campaign, we'll do it. You know, uh, let's make up a thing about Russia and uh, say he did that, and the press will all be in, and the, the the federal officials will all be in. The Republicans will even jump in on him, right? It's been done before, so it's it's not past the rhinos. It's not past our friends on the left to to do something, to indict him, to weaken him, to hurt him. Uh, hopefully, he'll say something that will be outlandish, and people will say, "Oh my gosh, we can't vote for this guy!" Right? And he'll actually fulfill uh, the self-fulfilling prophecy that uh, they're trying to say about him. You know, the MAGA, 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 MAGA. They'll make him look crazy, um, and then at that point, maybe he's not viable. Maybe we start to see that, hey, even though Biden's an old, doddering old man who really can't function, uh, people would be so squeamish 
to have Trump back, that they, oh, well, we'll vote for Biden, and, uh, you know, if he doesn't last, we'll take Kamala, and then we'll deal with whoever, you know, whatever comes, that that would be better for us, which is stupid, but I think a lot of people would think that. But I don't like this attacking, so that's the one thing. So DeSantis, he could be the heir apparent um, if he stands his own and then realizes that, um, hey, this isn't working out, I'm still down at, uh, you know, 20% 20% or 30% in the Republican polls, and Trump is up at 70, 80, and he's winning some states now. Um, maybe at that point he says, you know, I think uh, what's right, I support Donald Trump, and I step out. Or, like I said, if something happens and Trump can't go forward, he's your heir apparent, he steps right in, and he becomes the guy. Either way, um, it'd be much better if they just talked about their policies. So we, we covered a lot of things here today. Um, I wanted to talk uh, about my brothers and sisters and making sure that they're safe out there because there's, there's been a wave of suicides again. So I want you to listen to, those, to Susan Marco. Uh, she's, she's really a, a wonderful person, and she is trying to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, and I think that's what we all need to do. Until we meet again, so to speak, here on Chasing Justice, this is Lieutenant Joe saying, hey, have a great day, everybody.